It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. On today's edition of Rico Bronia, we will not bitch about Brandon Drury signing with the Angels. We will not bitch about J.D. Martinez signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. We will not fret over Seth Lugo leaving the New York Mets to try his hand at being a starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres. We may spend a few minutes on Adam Adovino coming back, but obviously the headline is what shook the baseball world. The headline that shook my world, that shook Hoffman's world, that shook every single person's listening right now's world, and that is the stunning development that Carlos Correa will indeed be a New York Met. This is obviously not an instant reaction. Uh, Pete and I had a whole day to do sports talk radio in New York City and let it digest, and I'll explain that. So when I found out the news at 6 a.m., and I told this story briefly on the air, uh, I found out because my phone had a Fox News alert, and I'm not saying a Fox Sports alert, a Fox News alert, and it said Carlos Correa picks new team after snag with Giants. That was the headline, or something of that nature. So. In the 30 seconds between me reading it and then seeing the inside of it, I didn't even think about my team, which is crazy. And I don't know if it's because I just first woke up and so maybe my brain wasn't wired correctly, but I quickly clicked on the link expecting the Minnesota Twins, uh, expecting the Baltimore Orioles. Not, Not really, but you know what I mean? Like anybody. I didn't think the Mets. And I click on the link or I scroll it, or I swipe it, whatever I did, I get to the story, and as soon as I see Mets, I scream the F word at the top of my lungs because I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was genuinely stunned. And from there, I go to my text message, which has had blown up over the last few hours. From there, I'm text. Actually, Hoff already texted me. I think you, when did you find out about this? So I woke up um, like a just before six, maybe like five thirty, whatever it was, and I never get up that early. I'm usually up around six, but like it was, it was five a.m. hour, and I got a text from Michael Flegelman, who was, "You and Evan better record a Rico Bronya right now," <laughs> and that's all he texted. And I'm like, "What? What the hell does that mean?" So then I went to my Twitter account, and I'm like, "Oh, sh- oh boy, we got some news." Yeah, because when I went to my phone, I saw a message from you. I saw a message from numerous people, and I, obviously, I'm stunned. You know, I, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong, and I have been very, very wrong about the pursuit of Correa, how serious they were. And, and I think I even mentioned the last time we talked about this that I assumed any interest in Correa was a short-term deal. Like, I, I am floored that they were really interested in a long-term deal. And obviously, the way this thing fell apart with the Giants – and then quickly back, got back together with the Mets, I'm stunned. So I think for the first part of finding out about this at 6 a.m., I was just absolutely floored. And look, I could not record a Rico. Uh, Pete was going to work, so he had a good excuse. My voice, and you can kind of hear it now, it's not 100%, was shot at 6 a.m. Like, for whatever reason, Waking up has been difficult for my voice. It takes it, I don't know, an hour or two to get revved up. And so I knew early on that, unfortunately, if you wanted an instant reaction, there were other great places to get it. I thought Boomer and Geo did a fine job. 
You guys eventually got around to talking about it, Tiki and Tierney, but you had to take that Aaron Judge press conference. And obviously, I did the show with Craig, and we talked a lot about it. It was just one of those things because of timing. We weren't going to be able to do it instant. So we'll do a nice pot about it tonight. Obviously, it's not instant. We're not. We're still stunned, but it's not the moment of being stunned. So I always tell people about this. Timing is everything. Uh, if I had been up at 3 a.m., I would have totally called Pete. I would have rang his phone <laughs> in the hook and said, get up, bitch. Let's record. Call people bitches like crazy today. What's up with that? I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, it's okay. Can I ask you a serious question, though? Because we're whine because you woke up, you see the Fox alert. First of all, yeah. what's going on? Like, you turn off all these other alerts. Why is Fox the only one that's going through? And why is it still in sports? I don't, I, I don't get that. But we'll get to that in a second. Real question. Rewind. Like, when you started to – did you not start looking through the tea leaves about Carlos Correa? Or I know I was texting you, actually, when you were at the Knicks game. And I was like, Correa thing, it's, it's not happening. Like, something's up yeah. here. Did you not think at all that, that something big was going to happen? So a couple of things. First of all, to to answer the question on why I was only getting Fox News alerts, (laughs) there's a really good answer. I think you guys will understand. I DVR so much sports uh, based on just the hours of when I get home, based on trying to maintain a healthy life with my family, that I don't want sports updates on my phone that can spoil the many times I DVR. So the only updates I get on my phone are news updates. And whether it's Fox or it's Drudge or it's NBC or whatever I uh, apply to. I honestly, Washington Post, like there's a lot of news outlets that I subscribe to and I'll get news updates because news I don't mind being spoiled about. I'd like to know what's going on in the world. So that's why I don't get sports updates. I think that's a a fair reason because I DVR so much that more times than not, it's just going to spoil what I'm probably DVRing. So I do get a lot of news updates, and occasionally, and I give Fox credit for this, Fox News gives more sports without giving stuff away than any other news department. Because think about it. The headline they sent me was, new team gets Carlos Correa. Didn't tell me what team got Carlos. Even the headline didn't tell me what team got Carlos Correa. So that's the explanation for why I had a news update on my phone and no sports update. Uh, As far as the tea leaves with Correa, when the press conference was canceled, and I think I mentioned this at the end of the Carton and Roberts show, it was worth keeping an eye on. No question about it, but I still figured, not knowing the details, obviously, of what happened, they're going to work things out. Because more times than not, when a player and a team come to an agreement, even if there's some kind of mini snafu, they usually work through it. Uh, whether it was a difference in money or maybe a difference in years or maybe a difference in guarantees. I didn't think he would get back to just being a full-fledged free agent, and there was no report of that either. It wasn't, hey, there's a snag between Correa and the Giants, and he's back to being a full-blown free agent because that would have definitely put the antenna off considering Steve Cohen confirmed with his interview with the New York Post that he had made a big offer for him. So, I think the reason why it wasn't, you know, in my mind as like a lead thing to worry about was I just figured the Giants and Correa were going to work things out. Now, obviously, more details have come out over the last day, uh, certainly as this day broke. And one of which is that the Giants never contacted Boris again, which I think is fascinating that they had concerns about his medicals. And we'll get into that coming up. And Scott said, "Uh, "Okay, well, I'm going to 
negotiate with other teams, rightfully so. And it's almost as if the Giants were done, where the Giants had cold feet. Now, whether they had cold feet about the medicals or they just reconsidered giving Correa the contract that they gave him, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get the answer on that because the Giants are not giving information. The Giants released a two-sentence statement today that ended with, we wish Carlos luck, all the luck. So I don't know if the Giants are ever going to come clean about it. And in Boris's case, he's already said, look, it was an old medical issue. It's not related to the back, which is certainly something that I think we've all wondered about because Carlos has a back history. We all know about that. It's not related to the back. He doesn't think it's serious. Obviously, the Mets don't think it's serious because you have Cohen already confirming the signing even before he had his physical. And here's the real thing to keep an eye on. Besides the Giants is the Twins. Because the Minnesota Twins are the team that knows his body the best right now. They had him last year. He was on the Twins. And they made him a very, very big offer. I think the offer they made was 10 years, $285 million, Which for the Twins, I mean, holy crap. That's a, And it's not far off from what the Mets offered. In fact, it's more money per year. It's just two less years. So I don't know what the medical concern is. The fact it's not the back is huge because that's the medical concern you'd have. And to Cohen's credit, when he saw an opening, he jumped right in. And I know for a guy like you, Pete, who looked at this entire offseason and said, yeah, this is good. Yeah, that's good. You wanted the bat. And listen, man, we can nitpick Carlos Correa's game all day. They got the bat. Oh, they did, and and it's crazy because I'm sitting. You and I are sitting there going like, "Well, there goes Drury, there goes Martinez. I guess Conforto. I I don't know." And it's not what we're sitting there going like, "They're not Drury's not making a ton of money. It was like a very like good deal." And I'm like, "Yeah, what's going on here?" And I I here's my thing, right? When the San Francisco beat reporters didn't have any details, they just said canceled, unex- postponed unexpectedly with nothing and all of them were besides Susan Slusser put out a, I think a little bit more information but like everybody else was basically quiet I started to look to try to find reports find details on this Carlos Correa thing and literally zilch at that point in time last night I, I even put a tweet out a jokingly like medical report came back cold feet I actually said that <laughs> and I, I thought it was more I thought it was more Carlos Correa saying you know what I don't want to be on this team but I can understand both sides the San Francisco Giants right now are in a, in, a, in a division where Carlos Correa is not fixing anything anytime soon. They are very far back behind the Dodgers, behind what the Padres are doing. Carlos Correa is not fixing anything this year. And and I don't know if they have enough money to – I don't know if Carlos Correa is going to fill the seats with his, with his jersey power. You know what I mean? Judge Car- could have. Yeah. Oh, Car- Carlos Correa is not Aaron Judge. Let's just make that clear on a lot of levels. Now, Carlos Correa is a tremendous baseball player. He is a platinum glove winning defensive player, even though with the Mets, he's not going to be playing the position where he won that platinum glove, but he's an elite defensive shortstop. He is a really good offensive player. I wouldn't call him a great offensive player. He's a very good offensive player. You know, you at 280, you at 25 home runs a year. You drive in 75, 80 runs. You have an 830, 840 OPS, especially at the shortstop position. Very good. No knock. But he's not, he's not A-Rod. 
You know, and forget the steroids. He's not A-Rod coming to the Yankees in 2004. He's not Aaron Judge coming off a 62 home run season. But what he is, is a really good baseball player. And here are the other things I don't want to leave out. And I think this matters significantly to us as Met fans because we were signing him for very different reasons than the Giants. We're not signing Carlos Correa to be the face of the franchise. We're not signing him to be the best player on the team. I mean, you could argue you're signing him to be the protection for Pete Alonso we looked for all year last year. You know, that, it's different. It's very different than what the Giants were trying to do and maybe even what Minnesota was trying to do. What the Mets are trying to do is say, we have a really good team. We need to get better. Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Starling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, those were the rocks that formed the top four hitters in this lineup and McNeil kind of floating around. We need another rock-solid guy. But the other thing about Correa that's very important that should not be overlooked is how effing good he's been as a postseason player. And while I try to be rational in judging postseason sample sizes, you know, you don't want to get too nuts off a guy who had a bad postseason, just like you don't want to get nuts off a guy who's had a really good postseason. Carlos Correa's sample size in the playoffs is large. It's half a season. You know, he's played 79 postseason games and he's at 18 home runs. Do the math. That's a 36 home run season. He's at, he's had 60 RBIs. Do the math. That's a 120 RBI season. He's at an 850 OPS, which I think is a slightly higher than his career OPS. And as we know, you're facing better pitching come postseason. And remember, Carlos Correa, because of injuries that he has not dealt with in a very long time, had a terrible 2018. 2018 was not a good year for Carlos Correa. And if you go back and you look at some of his postseason failures, he had a terrible divisional series in 18. He also struggled in the postseason in 19. But outside of that, he has been a rock-solid postseason performer. He's a guy who's not afraid of the moment. That's clear. The edge that he plays with, he plays with an edge. He plays with a flair. He also played as being one of the biggest villains in baseball for a while, as one of the faces of the cheating scandal in Houston. So he is a postseason proven player. He is a winning player. He's a really good player. Now, do I think he's a top five player in baseball? No. But he's a top 10 player? No. But I don't think he needs to be. Not for what the Mets are signing him to be. You know, you're the Giants, and you missed out on Aaron Judge, and you promised your fans, you sold your fans, that this was going to be an offseason, which we would not be denied, and he's your crown jewel. I could see that being very disappointing. Again, he is a good baseball. I, I, here's how I phrase it. He's a very good baseball player. Do I put him in the great category? And I know it's such a weird debate, very good versus great. He's a very good baseball player. So for the Giants, in being kind of the crown jewel of the team, it's different. For the Mets, with an owner who is now showing us he don't give a rat's ass about taxes. Taxes? It's like the Allen Iverson rant. Taxes? Talking about taxes. He doesn't care. He's not intimidated by the spending. So for us, I think we come from a different perspective on this. We don't have to overanalyze is 10 years smart because it doesn't matter if it sucks in five years, Steve Cohen's just going to spend more money. 
At least that's the perception I have. So it's odd. Normally we would do a podcast and we'd have to really break down the finances here. Is it worth it? What's he worth? What about year six? I don't think we have to care about year six or overanalyze the injury concerns because this owner is showing this right now. He doesn't care and he's willing to spend big. Yes, that that I agree with 100%. Like, that's what my biggest concern was when DeGrom didn't come back. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Are we just, just trying to re- replace him now? What What's the big deal here? What's the big picture? What the big picture is, is they are spending on everybody. However, they're also trying to rebuild the farm system. If you notice, like, yeah, we're talking about Liam Hendricks right now. Like, that's a possibility. Vientos has been rumored possibly as somebody be traded. But, like... Mauricio, Beatty, Alvarez, still there. Like, that's a big deal that they're still in this organization because now you have, like, Escobar, maybe, again, I talked about Escobar, Canna maybe leaving next year. But even if they're still around next year, you still can, like, build and kind of ease them into these spots. And then in three years, when you're overpaying Alonzo, overpaying McNeil, overpaying Lindor and 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 um, Correa, Alvarez is nothing. Beatty's nothing. If Mauricio's playing, he's nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you actually have talented players who will make nothing again. Well, th- this was part of the rebuild strategy. Keep prospects, don't trade them away, and spend a lot of money to win now, but not give up your top prospects and kind of buy yourself time in developing these young players. Part of what they're doing with the rotation right now is, hey, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, sure they're old. Sure they'll be here for two years. Hopefully in two years, we're either reinvesting the money in other starting pitchers or finally developing middle or frontline starting pitchers. So it's it's a strategy of let's spend big to win now and let's maintain our prospects. And that's why when we looked at improving this roster during the offseason, the one thing I was passionate about was I'd rather just sign free agents. I don't want to trade young pieces away. Now, the Mets are in a position now where is Brett Beatty maybe more expendable today than he was yesterday? Sure. I'd still like to hold on to him, and we'll get into his role coming up in a bit. But if an Otani deal does become realistic come July because the Angels suck again, which is a perennial thing, you're in a better position, a more comfortable position, to trade young pieces for him because you have filled some of these roles with free agents and you're not even giving up the compensation to sign these free agents. Carlos Correa didn't cost you that. Justin Verlander didn't cost you that. You know, so that's certainly kind of a small positive along the way. But yeah, you're in a position now, and we'll go through some of the ideas that could come with this, where some of your prospects are a little bit more expendable because you just filled the roles with free agents. I mean, look, right now, assuming they locked up Alonzo and McNeil long-term, and even if they don't, because they're both under control for two more years, the Met infield is set. The Met infield is set. The only part of the infield that could fluctuate is moving McNeil to the outfield, excuse me, which is a great option. But Correa is set. He's your third baseman. Lindor is set. He's your shortstop. And obviously, Pete's at first base. So the McNeil ability to play left field to play right field is interesting and we'll talk about it but their infield is set now Brett Beatty's role on this team to me is besides trade chip which is obviously always out there 
And I would not, and we'll get to Liam Hendricks too. I'm not trading Brett Beatty for Liam Hendricks. I'm not. Brett Beatty is too big a prospect for me to trade him. No offense to Hendricks. He's wonderful. I'd love to add him, but for a 34-year-old reliever. Like, I'm not doing that with the top third-base prospect in baseball. You want to use him as a trade chip for Shohei Otani come July, that's a different story. Okay, now, now we're having a conversation. But for a reliever, and he's a good reliever, very good reliever, and I'd be willing to be aggressive to get him, that's not who I'm trading Beatty for. I think Beatty right now, between left-handed option at DH, you could trade Vogelbach, he becomes a little bit more expendable, or left fielder eventually replacing Mark Hanna, who's a free agent at the end of the year. Those are the roles for Beatty, and he'll get plenty of at-bats that way. He absolutely will. Along with, you never know what trade becomes available. I don't think there's anything now during the offseason because you start to see the way this team is built. Your lineup is mostly set. It's mostly set. We talked about the infield, Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, Correa. The catching situation obviously is going to sort itself out, but you have Narvaez, you still have Alvarez and Nitto, and unless they're dumping Cano, which I doubt, your outfield is set. And Jeff McNeil could actually slide out and play a little left field if you want to play Eduardo Escobar at second or Luis Guillerme at second. I also think Escobar right now, along with Vientos and Alvarez, assuming they're not traded, becomes your right-handed DH option. Eduardo Escobar was feasting off of left-handed pitching last year. So if you want to make the DH platoon, Brett Beatty, Eduardo Escobar, with a little Vientos mixed in and Vogelbach, that ain't bad. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I don't think all of those guys I mentioned will be on the roster come opening day because I think now Vogelbach becomes expendable. Escobar, if you want to save money, becomes expendable. But I, I like the idea of holding on to Eduardo Escobar. I'm not in any rush to trade him. If money's not an object, Vogelbach's making nothing. He's making a million and a half. So the money isn't an option. But I bet you he's got some value around the league. And I could have Beatty kind of fill that role as left-handed DH. That's an option, too. Well, no, Vogelbach definitely has value because if you've noticed, it's not like he just went to, like, he got traded recently. He's been floating around the league for a few years. He doesn't take too long of a break, even if he gets DFA'd or whatever. But, like, he's been on the Brewers, the Pirates. I think he came from the Mariners organization originally. Now the Mets. He's been on at least four or five teams already. People clearly like something about him, and he has power. I mean, and he's, that that's that's legitimate. Um the thing I do like about this team right now, even if you – first of all, there's 41 people on the roster, from correct. Once Correa gets on, there's 41 people on the roster. Right. So they're going to have to make at least one move. They'll sell someone else to Japan like they did Yoan Lopez. I saw that, which is great. Hey, how about Darren Ruff? We could we could, we could, could do that. <laughs> he could be um, one. Please. Can't wait for that guy to leave. But the point is this is I love the versatility. If if Say if it's Ruff that goes, right? Everybody else on this roster right now, like I like the fact that McNeil can go play the outfield. Escobar can play second base. I love the fact that you have all these guys, and they still could legitimately get like Alvarez and Beatty could still get two fifty to three hundred bats this year. Like I know that's oh, not five hundred, but it's a lot. You can mix and match. Khan is not Khan is not your everyday left fielder. He's just not. So you could, but he could still get three hundred at bats if you float everyone around, give people days off. Yeah, that's a huge possibility. You have flexibility. Why you, go and get rid and be like, oh, well, we have surplus. Let's get rid of them. I don't want that. No, I, I agree because you have you have the option of Jeff McNeil getting a lot of at bats in left field, 
And you could play Luis Guillerme at second base where your defense is just filthy. And I thought McNeil had a great year defensively at second base. So I don't want to act like, oh, going from McNeil to Luis Guillerme is this incredible jump. It's a jump because Luis is brilliant at any defensive position. But McNeil had a real good defensive year last year. You could play Escobar over there. You could play Beatty in left field. Yeah, there's a lot of internal options. I also think you've got to look at, okay, what's Vogelbach getting me in the trade market? What's Escobar getting me in the trade market? I have no interest in trading Brett Beatty right now. Mark Vientos a little bit different. I'd be open. Uh, Vientos in a trade for Liam Hendricks. Okay, fine. Like, I'm good with that. And I think Escobar, again, could become that right-handed DH. As far as Hendricks is concerned, boy, that is, that's another piece right now. Because the Mets have built a lineup that got better in adding Correa. And we just mentioned all the flexibility and the options they have. I think they've improved this bullpen. They brought back Adam Adovino. But what I love about how they brought him back is they did not bring him back in the same role he was in last year. Adam Adovino was the main eighth inning guy a year ago. He was the guy asked to save games when Edwin Diaz was used in the eighth inning. I don't think that's his role now. I think that he is going to be more of a specialist against right-handed hitters and not necessarily be asked to pitch the eighth inning every single night. You just added David Robertson. And if you go out and you add, and of course you added Brooks Raleigh who can get lefties out, and if you can go add Liam Hendricks, who over the last four seasons, and I know it's tough with 2020 because it's not really a full season, but let's include it for the sake of it. I mean, it was at least a year that occurred. He has been an elite level relief pitcher or real good for four consecutive years since the last two years in Oakland to the two years he's had in Chicago. He has been a top reliever and there aren't a lot of guys who can be consistent year after year after year. So adding Hendricks to this bullpen with David Robertson and Adam Adovino and Brooks Raleigh to get to Edwin Diaz is insane. You'd have yourself a third closer in your bullpen. And the crazy thing is what we talked about last year, how Buck used Edwin. It wasn't just about the ninth inning with him. Right. It was the eighth inning. It's the seventh inning. So if you do whatever it is, you have Edwin to come in at different part with the biggest part of the game. And then you have Liam Hendricks in the ninth if you need. There's, I think you've- it's amazing. If you add Hendricks, and we'll get into what they may have to give up to get him, they got the best bullpen in baseball. I don't I don't think they're, at least on paper, obviously, a lot can happen, but you've got Raleigh and Robertson, who do a great job of getting lefties out. Adam Adovino, who's an assassin getting righties out. And then two of the five best closers in baseball in Diaz and Hendricks. That's it. And you also offer yourself protection. Now, God forbid Edwin Diaz gets hurt or Edwin Diaz has an offseason. Liam Hendricks is a guy who's been the Rolaids relief man twice in his career, and he isn't showing a sign of wearing down. Now we got to figure out what's the price tag. I floated out the idea, and it's probably not enough, I admit that, of McCann and Vogelbach in a trade for Hendricks. The reason I bring that up is the White Sox could use a catcher, not that James McCann's any good, but the money sort of offsets a little bit because Hendricks is due to make, I think, about $15.5 million this year, and then his option becomes guaranteed next year. So you're locked in for two years with Liam Hendricks, and the White Sox offensively 
really struggled against right-handed pitching. That was one of their big issues. And you've got a chance by getting a guy like Vogelbach to kind of add a little pop to a very heavy right-handed lineup. You know, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, a lot of right hand hitters. So does there need to be a third player in it, maybe a prospect, whether it's Mark Vientos or someone else? Okay, maybe. I'm not going Beatty. I'm not going that far. But I do think you've got the framework of something. If you're talking about Vogelbach and you're talking about McCann and then a prospect for Liam Hendricks. And that's the kind of trade that if Billy Epler can pull off, you are now talking about the best bullpen in this sport, and you want to top it off and make it even better, sign either Andrew Chafin or Zach Britton. And now you've really put together a top-notch bullpen. You know, you add Zach Britton, and I actually, I'm very high on Britton, another kind of few months removed from Tommy John. I don't think he's done. I'm not dunning Zach Britton as much as he may have looked. Not quite the same guy after coming back. You put him in a bullpen with no pressure where you're like the fifth guy. Buck Showalter knows Zach Britton very well. We, we all remember him not going to him in a postseason game. You're adding another guy with closing experience. Chafin is probably the safer option right now, but my God, it's, it's right there in front of you to make this bullpen from good. And I think better, I think this bullpen has a real chance to be better than it was a year ago. The caveat being Diaz, can he match? or even come close to doing what he did last year, which I agree is a major caveat. But you have a chance to get it even better with a guy like Liam Hendricks out there. And I don't think the price tag is going to be that crazy to acquire him. No, and they're already in talks. Like I feel like that that's something that's – and again, you never – you never really hear about the the Mets rumors these days. That's that's the thing that always scares me. So like it's like all oh, the Mets and the the White Sox are, are in talks. That means maybe it's probably not happening um, because <laughs> it's. I mean, just Correa just pops up out of nowhere three thirty in the morning. John Heyman, thank you. That's how the deals get done these days with the Mets, and I like that. But again, Chafin is somebody that I think I've been loving that guy for a couple of years now. Like he makes so much sense for his team. And again, if you're talking about even if it's a one year deal again. Do it like there's no nothing wrong with that at all. The other guy I do like, and I know he's not, he's he's more of like, um, uh, you know, like a, a, a an innings eater in the bullpen would be Michael Fulmer. I know he's not as good against left-handers, but he's somebody that I think has potential. I'd love to see that reunion, but again, we talked about reunions never work out, so maybe that's not the way to go. But I do like him as a long man in the in the, in the bullpen. Fulmer, I, you know, I'll, I'll say it doesn't count as a reunion because he actually never pitched in the major leagues with the Mets. He was just a prospect. That's all he was. So it's a little bit different. Uh, yeah, I don't think that qualifies in oh, the good. whole reunion category. Then get him. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it is crazy, though. You're, you're right. You kind of sit back now and say anything's possible. You know, you don't need to hear a rumor about the Mets being involved in a trade or a free agent, you can fantasize about anything, and it could very well happen. And one thing Cohen said a year ago about this tax is I'm not going to slightly go over it. If I go over it, I'm going to go over it all the way. He already has, obviously. He has assaulted the senses of all these cheap billionaires around Major League Baseball who have the money to spend but choose not to. So you kind of say, well, Money's not an option. I mean, he's already shown that it's not a big freaking deal. So he can go further. And for any Met fan who's wondered, hey, does this preclude them from going after Shohei Otani next season? 
The answer emphatically is no. <laughs> like, why, why would you think that this would make him say, nah, I can't sign Shohei Otani. He doesn't care. <laughs> and I don't think he cares what other owners think. And you're going to hear a lot of hand-wringing now over the next few days and weeks about, oh, can you believe this Steve Cohen, this bastard? They wouldn't have approved him if they knew he was going to do this. Cry me a river. These are other billionaire owners who are choosing not to spend. Well, that okay, so two things. We, first of all, talked about this, I think, last podcast. We're like, oh, the... We joked a few times before the offseason really started. We're like, you're talking about like signing this guy, that guy. You're talking about $350 million payroll. I'm like, yeah, that's what it should be. Inflation's a thing. Think about the Yankees, right? We talk about their payroll from like 2005. I think it was $200 million, right? I think last year's was somewhere, what, $200-something million. It wasn't above 250 if I'm correct. They've been around the same $200 million payroll for almost two decades. Uh, hello, it, there's no salary cap, but yet you're trying to keep the, the payroll the same. Something's wrong there. It should be upwards of where – I mean, it's absurd that we're getting close to $400 million. It, the, the jump happened very quickly. But it should have always been around $300 million in baseball. It's not. You know what's funny? It's not that absurd. Like, I don't think the numbers should be that high. I think what we've seen over the last decade, I know this is more of a baseball issue than it is a Met or Yankee issue, is that owners haven't spent in correlation with the profits they've been bringing in, with the TV money they're bringing in. So I think we should see more teams with huge payrolls. I hope that more owners say, maybe I should spend. I've got the money. I see Steve Cohen doing it. I should do it too. And the, the other thing you're going to hear is, well, you can't buy a championship. You know, you can't do that. It's not really true. I've seen a lot of examples of teams that have bought championships with teams that have spent a ridiculous amount of money and it's worked. Now, there are a lot of examples where it doesn't work. It's not an exact science. But the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, everybody loves the Philadelphia Phillies. What's the core of the Philadelphia Phillies? Anyone think about that? What the core of the Phillies would be? Well, let's let's go through it real quick. Bryce Harper. How'd they get him off? I forgot. Is that a free agent signing? I, th- I think they bought him. I think they bought him, yeah. They bought him. Nicholas Castellanos. How'd they get him? I, I forgot. Did they buy him? I think he came through a transaction called Bought. Bought. <laughs> Kyle Schwarber. How'd they get him? I forgot. Did they buy him? Yeah, I think the the Yankees decided not to sign him, and so the <laughs> Phillies bought him. They bought him. Now, the Phillies have this really good pitcher, really good pitcher, who should still be on our team, named Zachariah Wheeler. How'd they get him? They hate bought him. They hate, they hate bought him. him. <laughs> now, they have a catcher. They got a catcher who's pretty damn good named JT Realmuto. How'd they get him? Well, I think he got traded to him first, but then they bought him. <laughs> they bought his ass. That's what they did. <laughs> the Mets traded for Lindor. They bought him. That's what they did. So, look, here, here's the point of this, and that's not a knock on the Philadelphia Phillies. I know Philadelphia already doesn't like me very much anyway, and that's fine. You can go out and buy people. And it can work. And I think the Mets have more kind of homegrown talent in their court than the Phillies do. And that it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that like is a braggadocious thing, but Pete Alonso and Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil and hopefully Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez 
more than a half of this lineup are core built guys. Now the Phillies have a handful of guys too. I don't want to act like that doesn't exist. Alec Baum, Alec Bohm, homegrown. But the rest of it is bought. And again, nothing wrong. I am not ripping the Philadelphia Phillies. I think the Phillies have done a great job of buying. And you may have heard they bought someone else this offseason named Trey Turner. So it's okay to buy. And it works. And ask the Philly fan this, because here's the other criticism I heard. Well, you won't enjoy it as much because you bought those guys. Ask the Philly fan if they enjoyed getting to the World Series last year. If they enjoyed Bryce Harper hitting a majestic pennant-winning home run, the answer is yes. It's a really stupid point. And I don't like to use that word because I got in trouble recently because I got into a fight in the newsroom at WFAN with a good guy, uh, Anthony Gallo, who I like, and I I feel bad for. And I was so angry. (laughs) What are you laughing about? That I called him stupid? No, well, no, you were so upset that you yelled at him that you gave him a gift later on. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I gave him a gift. I got very mad at him. And you know what? I I actually thought about this because Gallo is a good dude and he actually listens to the Rico. He's a good Met fan. He just was saying really stupid things. We're going to put him on the Rico in a couple of weeks so he can at least debate me again what we were debating in the newsroom that caused me to like lose my mind and call him stupid, which I shouldn't have done. He made a stupid point. He wasn't stupid. He's not a stupid guy. Sometimes I make stupid points. I'd be the first to admit it. Um, but the, But here's the whole freaking point of this. If you win, you're not thinking about how you got the guys. It's just, it's such an overrated thing. And I got hit on the head with that, with the Nets when they bought Durant Irving, like, ah, you won't enjoy this. They're a bunch of mercenaries. And I said, you guys are so stupid. Yeah. Mercenaries. Okay. Does Max Scherzer feel like a mercenary right now? No, he's our guy. We love him now. As long as he's not sucking in the playoffs, we love him. Like, these guys become your guys. And it happens really quickly if they perform and they play at a high level. You're going to have, I think, tougher grades sometimes on the guys that you spend a lot of money for, the guys that you buy from other teams. You're probably quicker to boo them than the guys you develop. But, man, if they come through for you, you love them. You love them. You love every second of it. So that's just one of those weird lame things people say, but it's just not true. And all you got to do is look around baseball and you'll see that buying still makes you happy if it works. Well, well, that's the key is if it, if it works. And I think a lot of Mets fans in the past were bitter towards the whole buying thing because we had owners that didn't buy properly. And we looked across town and we saw like, listen, not for nothing, but in 2009, the Yankees bought themselves a championship. And I look back and going, I was piss and if i said that buying comment it was because i was jealous that we our owners couldn't do it right and that they were able to do it now i don't care and i'm like i have an owner that could do it and here's the thing is we talk about every year i say this all the time the reason why as a met fan i was always butthurt every single offseason was because you sit there saying there's five or six holes the mets go out early fill one major hole like oh my god this is great can't wait to see the rest of the offseason and then it's nothing. The, the other holes just sit there and you feel unfulfilled. This year, the Mets filled every freaking hole and they're they're filling more. Like there's there's really nothing else you could do. And it's like, well, we still have moves left. 
freaking think about this at the Verlander press conference. One of the last things I heard Billy Epler say, they asked, are you done? He goes, ask some marginal things. The next day they get freaking Carlos Correa. <laughs> I mean, that's marginal. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nah, no, nah, man. It's been, it's been some off season. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's been an incredible, incredible off season, but yeah, you got to win. We all know that. I, I think what we are giddy about, if you're not a Met fan listening and you're kind of, let me hear what these dopey Met fans are saying. No one's guaranteeing a championship. No one's even guaranteeing a division or a pennant or anything like that. But we're hopeful that with this owner, he will not rest until we win. So, yeah, the Mets are going to go into this season with huge expectations and this huge kind of hate coming from other teams. Oh, those big bullies, those spenders. I hope they lose. Kind of the hatred the Yankees used to get a lot of. And if we lose, we're going to get mocked. I, this really does fit, Hoff. Sometimes I shoehorn it, but it does fit. You guys now know what I felt like as a Nets fan. Like, we spent money, we had superstars, we better win, and everybody hates us. That Really, tell me the difference. I know the sport is different, but what the hell is the difference? And you embrace it. You say, okay, and it sucks when you lose, dude. Like, it was awful losing with this Net team. And I don't know if they're going to win. They're playing a lot better now. but. It sucks, and it'll suck if we lose in the NLDS or the NLCS or the World Series, and people will mock us, and they'll mock Steve Cohen, and it's going to suck. But I'd rather be in this position where I know my owner is going to get taken back, self back up by the bootstraps and say, okay, let's go get this guy, this guy, and this guy. That's what I appreciate. And listen, it's funny. I, I will. This is very relevant. You nailed it. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving coming to the Nets. I mean, they were marked up to win a championship. Like that, that, that they had the odds on favorite, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, the, and we won nothing. Right. And I, I don't think the Mets should be the odds on favorite, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are. And that puts a lot of pressure on you. Uh, but I, I prefer this rather than being the I always love the underdog story, but in this case, I don't mind being the cock of the walk, as they well, say. You know what, Pete? If you told me. You're going to win the World Series. I already know the outcome. Like, you're going to win the World Series. And then I can build how I win the World Series. Sure. Make me the plucky underdog. Make me the 1969 Mets. We didn't get to experience it. That's great. But that's not how it works. You don't get to plot out how you win a championship. You just have to do it. And this team has a better chance to win a championship with an owner who doesn't care about spending restrictions. It's just, it's just the way it is. So never apologize. This is what we were dreaming about. You know, when Steve Cohen bought this team and saved us from that awful, disgusting Will Pond regime that we were in, and he freed us and said, I will win you and take you to the promised land. We dreamt of this. We dreamt of this, of not just acquiring the best players, but it never being enough. And that's the difference. If they had stopped after refixing the pitching staff, maybe brought in Brandon Drury, a guy I wanted, or J.D. Martinez, a guy you wanted, I think we would have looked at the soft season and said, that's fine. It's good. Spending feels different. It's good. He went that extra mile and said, I'm going to get the championship-proven elite level guy instead of the 
All right, I'll give you Brandon Drury or J.D. Martinez. He went the extra mile on it. And I think that's what's awesome. I think that's what's great. And doesn't mean we won't turn on Carlos Correa in about a week and a half if he struggles to start the season, <laughs> like we did Lindor. But it doesn't mean we aren't pumped up and excited about this whole thing. I will apologize. I do have one apology, and it Go goes ahead. towards one man and one man only, and that is Steve Cohen, because I came on this podcast the day that DeGrom left, and I was upset. I was hurt. I was disgruntled. Uh, and so were you. But And we were like, you know, it, I remember you screaming, he's gone. What are we going to do? Well, they showed us what they were going to do. And and that to me is no matter what happened with the Grom, I don't even care anymore. It literally just has canceled all my thoughts and feelings about what that situation was. The team is now ten times better. Yeah. So here's the final thought on the Grom and uh the fallout of it. The Mets made a decision around Jake. I didn't agree with it, but we move on. Okay. I am fine that he's in Texas. I'm fine that the Mets made the decision. As much as I don't agree with it, I'm not you know, saying I agree with them now. I'm saying they made a decision. I've laid out my points. If you haven't heard them, go listen to old episodes. The only thing that bothers me that's left is the hit pieces. That's it. The only thing that bothers me are the hit pieces. And it comes from guys like John Heyman, who I called out on Twitter the other day and just asked him nicely, is it the politics? Is it that he won't go on your podcast? What's causing that? Sal, who I like, Lakata takes shots at Jake. I think he's just sticking it up. So I don't take him as serious. I think he's just, you know, oh, it's Jake the, Jake the Snake or whatever he's doing. I think he's just sticking it up. I, I would just let it go. Like, the Mets didn't want him back. He didn't really want to come back. It's over. Like, it, it's over. Even the, I saw a few people making a big deal that Chris Bassett tweeted out a thank you to the Mets organization and Jake didn't do it. First of all, here's the inaccuracies with that. And I think that's the only thing that bothers me, inaccuracies. Chris Bassett didn't even thank the fans. All Chris Bassett did was thank the organization. I'm not in the organization. So Chris Bassett didn't say a goddamn thing to me. That's number one. And number two, at the Grom's press conference, whether you believed him or not, he talked about how special the fans were. You don't have to believe him. You could call him a liar. That's okay. But to act as if he never said anything, and Chris Bassett did, is not true. And that's the only thing left in the DeGrom debate that bothers me are people saying things that aren't true. That's it. Like, I get it. I lost the debate. Pete lost the debate. We made our points on DeGrom versus Verlander. They made a different decision. I move on. Like, I'm, I'm not sitting here talking about that five weeks later. I'm talking about the hit pieces, and it's got to stop. And it should stop from Met fans, too. Jake was a great Met. Maybe he didn't want to come back. Maybe the Mets didn't want him. It didn't work out. And that's it. I think we just have to move on. And I don't know what happened to John Heyman. I, I, I mean this genuinely. I liked John Heyman. I thought he was a really good reporter. I don't know what's in the kind of the food at the New York Post. Like, you go there and you become a vengeful douche. And I'd say that to John because I'd say it to him. I've talked to him many times. I'd say, John, you're a vengeful douche now. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Is it politics? That's weak. Is it he doesn't do interviews with you? Get over it. You're not that yeah. freaking special. No, but after all, like, the one thing about Jake, and again, this is not to try to sit here and like speak for J- Jacob DeGrom because I know nothing about him in his personal life at all, but 
he doesn't go on social media. He doesn't tweet things out. If I'm correct, like, he doesn't sit there and and Instagram and so do all the social media stuff. Like that's where he spoke. He spoke at the press conference. That's it. I mean, if you know anything about him, if you, he walks out the simple man, like that's who he is. He doesn't have. He doesn't register the rest of that world, and that's okay. So for it's anybody that's, for anybody to sit there and try to take shots at him, I, I BT tried to do it too, and I, I kind of shut it down. They're like, I have no problem. He did. He said thank you to the fans at his press conference. That to me is what he would do. I'm fine I, with it. I get kind of the the hatred towards Syndergaard in a way. Like I get how that still hasn't gone away. The Degrom thing makes no sense to me. And by the way, one last thing on that. So it's gone under the radar. Kode Senga and Justin Verlander had their press conferences. Two real quick takeaways from it. Number one, Senga's got a big personality. You could tell if he's good. If he lives up to his hype, he could be a star here. But he revealed that he allowed the fans to pick his number. And the number was 34, which was Noah's old number. The Met fan still has it out for Noah Syndergaard. And that was done on purpose. That was beautiful. And then what was it? Eamon uh, McEnany? I always screw his name up. But on SNY said that the Dodgers are coming to town in sometime, I think, in July or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll find out. You'll, we still have plenty of time to find out why Noah Syndergaard won't show up that weekend. Yeah. I, thought that was, I thought that was a great line. Very funny. And lastly, Verlander at his press conference. Eh, not a surprise. We've heard from Verlander many times. Been in the sport for a long time. Revealing that he's working out with Max Scherzer. So trying to dispel the rumors that Verlander and Scherzer don't like each other. Ooh, they're working out in Jupiter, Florida. So there you go. Uh, you can email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com for the holidays. We'll continue to give you content, including the worst free agent signings in Met history. Hopefully none from this year, but the worst free agent signings in Met history. We'll also look at some of the great off-season trades in Met history. And on New Year's Day, we're going to bring in the new year with some of the great moments from the 2022 regular season. Now, I'm going on vacation. Pete's going on vacation. But that doesn't mean we're not going to give you Ricos. I just told you the list of Ricos you're going to get. Plus, if there is breaking news, if the Mets trade for Mike Trout, we will <laughs> we will certainly do our best. Hey, it could happen. You, you, some can't, Ricos. you can't even joke about that anymore because it can happen. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It could. <laughs> we'll give you the Ricos any way that we can. But we do appreciate you listening and appreciate your understanding on why our Carlos Correa reaction had to occur, you know, 18 hours after he signed with the Mets. We got jobs, man. What do you want from us? Anyhow, appreciate you listening again. You can email thericob at gmail.com. Have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah from Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>